protect your chute. It doesn't look good. I wouldn't jump it if I were you. All right, gentlemen, stand by. On the green, on the green. One more thing. For God's sakes, be careful out there. If I was careful, I'd be in the Coast Guard. Five, four, three, two, So one. there I was. That's how all great aviation tales begin. Episode 30? Repeat, is that possible? Big three zero. Don't trust anyone over 30. You can trust us, though. What are we titling this one? We had our man Sticks on. He was a first uh, for several reasons. He's the first Coast Guard pilot. And I think the first one to make the mistake of saying something to the effect of, are you sure? It's mine. That's top 10 things never to say to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you like paying for divorce attorneys and oh, <laughs> years of counseling. And <laughs> first, uh, first Coast Guard uh, aviator, second rotary wing aviator we've uh, interviewed. He had another. He's our second one. Master was our first graduate of the Merchant Marine Academy. That's Kingsport. right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, he talks about that, which is kind of unique. And he goes into a little more information about that. And if there's any listeners that have soon to be college age children or relatives, this is good information. It is great information. Boy, if I'd have only known. If right. I would have only known, right? So, yeah, right. he talks about his senior year being the number two in charge, trying to do drill with the new plebes as they graduate into becoming plebes and getting sworn in and, and losing his source on the parade deck. That's a good story, too. And then giving improper drill commands, feeling pretty stupid about it, but finally getting them all back together. So Yeah. Yeah, good, good stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I learned uh, how much Marine Corps influence there is. Uh, I had no idea. Program, right. No idea. Then he talks about going down to flight school and it's called API now, aviation pre-flight indoctrination and all the physiology that they go through, the altitude chamber, the swimming pool, the dockers, those sorts of things. He talks about that. And he's now also a medical professional. He's not a professional pilot anymore. He does fly with the Civil Air Patrol and some civils, that sort of thing now. But now he's a medical professional. He talked about some of what happened to Yogi on Happy Birthday Yogi episode. All right. He talked yeah. about the pool and the physiology and the altitude chamber and hypoxia and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of neat information. And he's uh, he's given he's given out the actual uh, physiological reason behind yeah. hypoxia. Yeah. And, and oddly like enough, we had a listener on the live stream who said he was an anatomy professor. And he goes, I back up 100% what he's saying about what happened to Yogi. So it was interesting. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, let's get into the episode. It's still couple weeks before Christmas, so you're going to have time for Robin's Bird Brain Designs to help you get a custom Christmas gift out there. Show somebody you've put some thought into doing something for them for their Christmas. Thank you to Robin because uh, I am I am set for several Christmas gifts because of her. Nice. And those Gringos. Those Gringos. God, those awesome. guys were fun. They are. Uh, we've yeah. recorded with them. Their show is coming up soon. Those Gringos, uh, two Air Force pilots who have some hilarious aviation songs. So... Don't sit on the float switch, right? Another helicopter episode. Don't sit on the float switch. I'll sit on it. Sit back and enjoy episode oh, I thirty. I had the alpha of a Living too fast, slow, and others scorn it. When I can still pitch and roll, that other guy's going out of control. I wish I had the alpha of a hornet. So there I was. Which is how all great aviation stories start. Welcome. This is Fig. I'm in Kansas City. And my co-host, repeat, where are you? I'm home tonight in New Hampshire. And we've got a guest with us tonight who is also from New Hampshire. This is our second rotor head. Don't you guys know those things are dangerous? Welcome, Sticks. Greetings, repeat, and Fig. And it's, uh, it's exciting to be here. Thank you for having me. So you, you know you're you're uh, you are digging the bottom of the barrel by pulling me. I will tell you that right now. Quite hardly. Not even quite close. hardly. As a matter of fact, I want to make a blanket statement right now that going through flight school, uh, because there were so few Marines and even fewer Coast Guard guys, we just kind of hung together uh in flight school. And I've always had a, a great admiration for Coast Guard aviators. You wear <laughs> you, you, first of all, you wear the right wings. Yeah. And I know what kind of training you went through. And I know that you uh, you got great stories because you do some crazy shit. So I can't we, wait to hear all that. We do some we do some interesting things. Um, Every time you turn the motors, 
every time. <laughs> but uh, you're absolutely right on one key thing, and that's in terms of whether I felt more of a connection with my Marine Corps compadres at flight school or whether it was with Navy guys. Hands down, it was my Marine Corps guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Smaller service, tighter organization, more selective about who comes in. And, right. you know, and honestly, in terms of my rotary wing training, I was trained by a Marine Corps attack helicopter pilot. And I will attest to the fact that I am alive today because of his training. Outstanding. And let me just make another a point, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but before you could go to flight school, you had to spend how much time as a Coast Guard officer before you went to flight school? I was in my third year as a Coast Guard officer before I selected for flight school. Yeah. So there's was an, actually there's a, on, was on my second tour. That's, a, um, that's an, another similarity. You know, Marines just don't go to OCS and then go to flight school. You know, we go to the basic school first. So by the time right. we actually get to flight school, we're about a year into our commission almost. Whereas, yep. you know, you guys show up another year season. So that's another thing we had in common. Yeah, exactly. When I checked in for flight school, I was a Lieutenant JG. And when I, by the time I winged, I was an 03. I had pinned on Lieutenant. Right. Outstanding. And you know what I can tell you is that one of the bigger differences is all of the pressure that they sort of put on you. Your perspective is so much different because, you know, I've been out in the fleet a little bit. I know a little bit of what reality is. And, you know, the training command environment just wasn't as intimidating. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, right. it, no, it is what it is. Thing. Yeah. So, well, then let's back up and start with, um, A, how did you get interested in flying? And then tell people what your commissioning source was. It's a little different than most. And, in fact, I was a captain in the Marine Corps instructing uh, other, other Harrier pilots when I even found out your commissioning source existed. That's how little right. known it is. Right. Um, I had probably, I think, the uh, one of the most exciting, you know, one of the most interesting uh, paths towards um, becoming a Coast Guard aviator. So for me, um, why, why would I go into aviation? Well, that's like asking, like, why do you get up and breathe in the morning? Yeah, you got to do and, it. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. And what I, it's just, it's something that uh, somehow had always fascinated me. I wanted to fly since I was a little kid. My dad actually worked on at Avco Lycoming in um, Stratford, Connecticut. You know, so he actually designed the ignition system on the Huey helicopter. And he used to bring home pictures of different helicopters. And I remember looking at those when I was younger, when a whole nother segue, there's this television show that I remember, two different television shows that I remember watching when I was a kid. The first one was the TV show Emergency with yeah. uh, Johnny and Roy DeSoto. Johnny Gage. Yeah. Squad 51. <laughs> Squad 51. Exactly. Ringers there elect was... a TKO. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Clear. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> Anyways, there was an episode where they actually got picked up by a Coast Guard helicopter to take care of a fisherman or do, do some rescue that they did. And so I saw that and I was like, that looks pretty cool. I think that's something I would love to do. So that planted a seed. The other movie that I, or show that I used to watch was Airwolf. That was like one wicked cool helicopter, although completely, totally not how helicopters work, even by the remotest stretch of the imagination. <laughs> what? Wait, 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 wait. hold on. Wait, that wasn't real? Hold on a second. You're starting to burst my bubble a little bit, Sticks. You have to, good God, I got to get, I got, hold on. I got to process this. Helos can't okay, go transonic. Go what? Go ahead. No. Oh. When they do bad things happen. So what is that bad thing? Real quick. We're jump ahead a bit. What, what is <laughs> that bad thing when gonna, Helo goes gonna, too fast? So yeah, exactly. There's this thing called retreating blade stall. And so that is where the, the blade that is moving away from the airstream as the helicopter is moving forward actually loses lift and then there's this whole other process of gyroscopic precession that actually translates that loss of lift uh, about 90 degrees off from where it has actually occurred and uh -oh. so what actually happens is rather than having like the nose pitch down your nose pitches rather abruptly up because that loss of lift is felt 90 degrees later over the uh, uh, rotor disc and so you end up with a very violent nose pitch up, loss of tail rotor effectiveness, which then results in the 
helicopter rotating around about 180 degrees and finding yourself pointed straight down towards terra firma. Ah, so it's kind of a snap loop maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, not a snap roll, a snap loop. <laughs> and in the process, all of your hydraulics lock up. Yeah. Lock no. up. Yeah. That's oh yeah. No, you would lose, you would lose hydraulics. And um, the main rotor rips off and everyone has bad, a bad things. Day. There's See, actually I, not, not necessarily. You could pull it out. There was a H65, which is what I flew that was doing a parade flyby at Cape May, New Jersey. And they entered retreating blade stall over the parade field. Oh, oh. <laughs> So after their octafluguron, <laughs> they they scooped it out and they both looked at each other and were like, "Oh my god!" And they went back to base and um, the phone call started to come in from Cape May after they realized what had happened. But, well, I bet the air show crowd thought that was a pretty damn spectacular maneuver, even though they didn't yeah. know it was yeah. damn near mishap. This was well before I ever got towards that area, but I am sure that those those pilots were scraping it out of their shorts. <laughs> so it was pretty bad. Commissioning source, I think that's where we originally were, and we kind of really totally got off on a tangent. Anyways, long story short, they're trying to sort of jump to this. I had somewhere around my eighth grade year in in junior high school, getting ready to go to high school, I got the bug that maybe I wanted to be a commissioned officer and a pilot. My freshman year, my first semester did not go so well, and I ended up going to talk to guidance counselor and a couple of other people. And then they told me about a couple of different schools. I was looking at the service academies and I had told one of my English professors, yeah, I'm going to go to service academy. I'm thinking I'm going to try and go to the Naval Academy or something like that. And he says to me, there's no way in hell you're getting in there. You're not smart (laughs) enough. Um, And here's lesson number one with me. Tell me I can't do something. Sure. Yeah. And I will prove you wrong. Yeah. And that's been... I think my MO almost my entire life and it comes up multiple times down the road from now. Trust me, <laughs> you'll have to come back to a couple of these. All of a sudden, I really get really serious about my academics, put my nose in the books and really press through, get to my senior year in high school. And I applied to five different schools. First was actually Maine Maritime Academy. I'm sort of going north to south. Maine Maritime Academy, Massachusetts. First choice. It wasn't, it was one of, it was like my first alternate. All right. So you go north to south uh, uh, geographically. Geographically. Okay. Got it. And it's just sort of how my brain works. But so I get Maine Maritime Maritime Academy, Mass Maritime Academy. That was definitely sort of a little bit lower on the list. SUNY Maritime, that was at the bottom of my list. And then Naval Academy, Coast Guard Academy, and then this other place that nobody has ever heard about, the United States Merchant Marine Academy. Oh yeah. I heard of that. So Kings Point is located on Long Island near Great Neck. It is hands down the best kept secret in terms of service academies and education options. And what I will tell you right now, I picked the best possible major that you could ever want for going into uh, flight training or flight school. Which was? Yeah, it's called the ship's officer major. So I majored in... Um, transportation and logistics, which basically boils down to marine transportation. So I majored in navigation with a minor in engineering. So I sailed 200 days on deck, 100 days in the engine room, took apart diesel engines, had classes in hydraulics, electrical systems, engines, uh, even turbines, um, steam turbines, as well as celestial navigation, terrestrial navigation, the whole kit and caboodle. So by the time I got to you know, if you wanted to fast forward a little bit, I was like in the best possible position in API. I didn't crack a book. So, all right. So let me ask you this. When, when you graduated from the Merchant Marine Academy, did you have your choice of services to get commissioned in? Yeah, this is one of the coolest things about Kings Point. So it is just like all of the other federal service academies, except you get to go in any of the armed forces that you want. You could apply for a commission in the Navy, the Marine Corps, Coast Guard, Air Force, Army. I had classmates in the Navy, of course, because you're actually a naval ROTC midshipman at that time. So I graduated with a class of around 200 students. Out of of those 200 students, 25 of my classmates went Navy flight. Another 25 went NFO. Eight of us went Coast Guard. About six or seven went Air Force. Another five or six went Army, and five went uh, United States Marine Corps. Hurrah. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. And is that an average class size graduating? Um, So around 200 students is an average class size. And what I can tell you in terms of academies and experience there, I think of all the service academies, it's probably, honestly, legitimately, it's one of the easiest ones to get into. There's probably the lowest level of competition. But what I would say is when you look at the curriculum and the program, it's probably the hardest program to get through. And our, our attrition rate is probably higher than any other service academy. And if you don't want to go in the military then you can serve in the Merchant Marine. Is that how it works? You can go in the Merchant Marine and then you take a commission in the Naval Reserve for eight years. Okay. 80 years? That seems yeah. kind of excessive. Eight years. Oh, that's that's different. Never mind. Okay, that sounds okay. No, it's eight years. All of that got washed out for me the moment I took my active duty commission in the Coast Guard. And there was some little loophole that existed and I was able to sign up for the GI Bill on top of that. So I pick, and that actually comes in to my story maybe a little bit later on down the road. We had another guest. Yeah. That was also a Merchant Marine Academy guy. Was it the, uh, was, our, was it the F4? The F4 that was Master. Master, that's right. It was Master. Master. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah no, that was, was master. That was on Happy Birthday Yogi. Yep. Happy so is so um, 14. Master Junior or senior to you at the academy? Oh, he was definitely senior to me, but okay. not by a lot, but by a little bit. So Okay, but so you guys um, didn't know each other. We would not have crossed paths. So repeat, you had mentioned on that episode that you were flying over um, near Sandy Hook, New Jersey. Right. And there was that long pier that stuck out in there. Right. And you had mentioned that it was a, a super tanker pier. Anything but the truth from that. Oh. <laughs> it's actually Naval Weapons Station, Earl, New Jersey. But it, we flew we flew over that um, during the, after 9-11. We flew over that a lot, covering that whole territory. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, I wonder why. Exactly. Weird. Okay. okay. So, well, that's awesome. Hey, man, you have a, you're, you're good. I was thinking, because I was thinking, okay, we, we had another guest that was a Merchant Marine Captain. Yeah, yeah it was master. You know what I can tell you about Kings Point? And there's a couple of, there's a ton of stories that I have there. So it's basically like any other service academy. It's a leadership laboratory, which was really cool. But was one of the cooler things that I got to do there was I injured my knee about halfway through my plebe year. And I ended up having to go out and have knee surgery. So I repeated my plebe year twice. Oh, fun. Fun time. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a that's kidney like stone. Practicing it feels bleeding, cool right? Yeah. <laughs> kidney stone. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So what was yeah. the funniest thing you saw happen oh. there is, oh, uh, you God, know, when the, crazy. when the hurry, the harassment program was going on. <laughs> right. There's, I think the funniest thing that happened was actually when I was at, in my senior year. So I was the uh, regimental executive officer. And so I was the number two midshipman in charge of the regiment. Suck up. So I'm actually, that put me in charge of the training of the plebe class that came in, which is the primary reason why I wanted that. And that was actually something that I actually really liked doing. So you are Um, a sadist. Well, actually, no. And that's actually quite the opposite. In fact, um, I will point out that I fell on my sword once trying to defend my plebes. And, you know, I'm a big proponent. I'm heavily involved with scouts and scouting, and I am an Eagle Scout. So I, I'm a firm believer in servant-based leadership, which is why I ended up at the, the service academy. Yeah. Long story short, we're doing acceptance day for my plebe class. And so they're getting sworn in, and I screwed up the commands that I was supposed to give them. So they were sitting at rest arms with their, you know, the rifle held sort of in their right hand or their left hand with their right arm up to take the oath. And I inadvertently didn't put them back at order arms before I told them to about face. So half of the class sort of did the right thing and stayed in position. And half of the other police <laughs> spun around the 180 degrees. And then the other group. Those are the undisciplined ones right there. The <laughs> undis- you, you weeded out the undisciplined ones right. with one. That was brilliant. It was brilliant. You'd go, I didn't say Simon says. <laughs> exactly. Well, the the best part was, so then the other plebe, half of the plebe class spins around the other direction. And then, so they're both going in opposite directions. And so finally, I just said, you know, I had to go with non-standard commands at this point. And they go, plebe class, turn and face me. I said, order arms and turn and face me. <laughs> they finally get all turned around back the right direction. That's awesome. And then it gets better. So we're doing now... 
you know, pass and review. It's yeah. all a service academy crap. Yeah. So I'm in the red wedge and we go past the uh, the flag officers. I bring, you know, my sword up to, you know, present arms and I drop the sword tip down just a little bit too low. And we had a new track that we were going on. So we do it all of our parades on the um, track in the track and field area. So the sword sticks into the ground about a 45 degree angle with now <laughs> the entire regiment having to navigate their way around that. Oh no. Oh no. No. Nice. And I lost my sword. Yeah. So yeah. let's just say <laughs> I didn't hear the end of that. So I, I don't know why you would. Right? That's a great that's a great story. And, and then awesome. during what I if you wanted to jump back to Indoc when I was actually in processing. For, so your first two weeks there at the academy, um, we have to do this formal inspection. And actually, you guys may not have even known this, but so our indoctrination phase and all of our training is actually regulated and overseen by the Marine Corps. No way. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And so. Well, hold our, on. When you say when you say regulated and, and overseen by, were there Marine Corps you, drill instructors? You got Marine there? DIs on deck? Uh, uh, we have, uh, we had, so Marine Corps Major Medina, as in AKA Funky Cold. I was going to say Funky Cold Medina. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he introduced himself. And then we had a Marine Corps gunnery sergeant, and I feel terrible. I can't remember his name, but he was absolutely fantastic. He trained all of the midshipmen drill instructors. I'm not going to say that what I, anything I went through was like the Marine Corps, but there was enough. Yeah, there, there was, was a, a lot, lot of Marine of, influence there. Oh, Yeah. No wonder you Coast Guard guys show up with all that, you know, wearing your uniform <laughs> right and everything because you started with your service academy. Yeah. Well, well actually, it wasn't the Coast Guard Academy. It wasn't the Coast Guard Academy. But I think the difference is, and the reason why the Coasties and the Marines are so tight is we're such a small organization. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I went back and looked in sort of preparation for this. I am like the very average Coast Guard aviator. Okay. There is nothing that I did that was all that special. And what that actually says is, I think, says a lot about what the Coast Guard does. Some of the stuff that I did was maybe a little bit out of the ordinary. There are some outstanding Coast Guardsmen that are out there. I worked with a lot of them. I'm proud to say that I'm one of them. And I think it's that connection between having such a small service, being highly selective. There's a certain degree of expectations that come with being a Coast Guardsman that there's a lot of parallels between that and the Marine Corps. So, How competitive uh, was it? Well, let me ask it another way. Were there classmates of yours that uh, wanted to be Coast Guard officers that weren't accepted? Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, so how, give me numbers, percentage. What? Yeah, all total. So out of a class of 200, there were about 16 of us that applied for Coast Guard commissions. And I believe seven of us were picked. It, were picked. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's, well done, uh, sir. Well yeah. done. That's stiff competition. The fact that I was selected was rare. I actually, one of the things you, you do an internship during your academy time where you are actually uh to go out and you do go work with either a company or an agency actually i did mine with the coast guard i went to coast guard air station brooklyn and flew out of there before it closed which was kind of cool oh yeah okay because there's the other was, one was it still open when you're active there on uh, at canarsie yeah yeah okay yeah because that's all closed now i mean there's still some some buildings there but all the runways have big yellow x's on them you, you ever fly in and out of kennedy fig and see the you know, yeah, it's uh, actually, it's not even Canarsie. Yeah. It was actually called Floyd Bennett Field. Oh, okay. If you ever do that VOR to 13 left at Kennedy, it takes you right over that field. The, the Canarsie VO, it's the Canarsie VOR and the Floyd Bennett Field. It's a closed Coast Guard station, I knew, but yeah, awesome. All right, Sticks. So you finally get an aviation slot in the Coast Guard. Two, two years in. Oh, was it right. three years in? It was, it was three years in. I had entered into the marine safety field. I did accident investigations primarily, which was actually kind of cool. So basically, like Exxon Valdez runs aground. You'd find out why it ran aground. At that same time, I had talked with my unit CO and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about going to flight school. He said, oh, why isn't there an application on my desk yet? That's a good sign. He was absolutely right. supportive, 100%. I was really afraid when I went to get to talk to him. I was afraid he was going to come back and say, you know, hey, you know, why do you want to leave the marine safety field and all this other stuff? He was like, no, if this is what you want to do, let, you know, let's support you in that. That's a good leader right there. Absolutely. You know, one of the coolest things about the Coast Guard is that I think we practice some of the best 
non-micromanage, like we decentralize our leadership. We let the unit leader who is on scene make decisions. And sounds, sounds familiar. Repeat. Yeah, exactly. We back those up. And that, in fact, is one of the key reasons why the Coast Guard was so successful in Katrina. Right. Exactly right. Decentralized leadership. It's, uh, you know, at the lowest possible level from the, from the uh, corporal who's a, a fire team leader to the sergeant who's a squad leader. Let them make decisions. Back them up when, they, when you can. And they screw up, uh, remediate in private and move on. It's, it's, it's a successful formula. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that what was enabled for, and I was not directly involved in any of the events at Katrina, but I was in during that time period. Um, you know, the decentralization of leadership, moving it out, letting unit leaders make decisions about where aircraft were going to go prior to the storm arriving so that they could be in the best position to, you know, come in afterwards was one of the key things that actually led to us being as successful as we were with uh, Katrina. Nice. All right. So you get your aviation slot. Tell us about how that went. You go to Pensacola, you show up, you show up with the rest of the dregs with the Marines and the Navy guys. And, um, uh, Oh my God. Which was, Let's hear about that. Yeah. So API was a whole lot of fun. Hey, let me, I'm sorry. Let me interrupt ever so briefly. So it, we called it AI aviation indoc. API is a- aviation what? pre-flight indoctrination. Okay. Yeah. So that's the yeah, course you have to go through. It's about six weeks long, learn about engines and navigation. Yeah. And, I think by the time I was going through, it probably was something closer to 12 weeks. It oh. was about three months because it included, <laughs> okay. you know, What's trips the to time AV frame on the sticks. Sticks, yeah. give me give me the year here. When did you show up in Pensacola? So let's see, I graduated in 95 from Kings Point. So it was about 98, 99. In January of 99, I reported to flight school. Okay. Awesome. Okay, okay. So, you know, I get down there and, and actually, <laughs> here's an interesting, another interesting thing that most, you know, student aviators are not having to contend with when they go to flight school. I'm married at this point. I'll leave my wife back in Oregon. She's going to join me back down in Pensacola after I'm finished with API. You know, so this way I can actually just focus on API. I don't have to worry about having any distractions. I get down there. I'm getting ready for the NAMI Whammy. You know, which is that Naval Aeromedical Institute. Yeah, exactly. Flight so you get physical. The flight <laughs> physical. I, I so think I, I could. I'm just guessing here. I'm guessing that's yeah. what it stands for because uh, oh, I yes. only experienced yeah. it twice. So I'm checking in for the NAMI whammy and the night before I I, I checked in and I'm actually, my physicals the next day, my wife calls me up. She says, Hey honey, how are you? I'm like, I'm good. By the way, you know, she's like, I had a small car accident. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And she says to me, by the way, you know, they, the, there are two things that I need to pass to you. The mechanic said something about there being um, oil in the engine coolant. Which I'm like, yeah, that's bad. (laughs) That's not good news. And then she says, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Over the phone? Over the phone? Well, there was at least the timing was perfect. The timing was perfect. So the night, night, so I'm like top 10 things to say when your wife is back in Oregon and you're in Pensacola, Florida, top 10 things not to say to your wife. Number two is, are you sure? (laughs) Because that resulted in a whole lot of tears and me trying to, uh, you know, let's just say reverse (laughs) some Poor decision making. Well, at least you didn't say to her, "Are you sure it's yours? <laughs> Are you sure it's mine? <laughs> I sure it's mine." Yeah, that's number one. That that's that that can when you just say, "Are you sure?" That's that's leaving off the "it's mine" part was yeah. probably yeah. good. Yeah, it was a tactically bad move. Yeah, so, and I and I'm sure it was a it was a reflex. You really didn't realize what you'd said. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it didn't. Wasn't anything that I intended. I, Don't you know, you I, I love my back. wife. I'm still, still married to the same woman who has stood through me through all of um, this. <laughs> and so, but anyways, yeah, I don't she, know her, but I love her already. I tell you right she's, now, she's <laughs> awesome. I, I'm so, so lucky, so blessed. You know, I find out I'm pregnant. You know, my wife's pregnant. 
And I'm like, okay, so I'm going in for my flight physical the next day and my blood pressure was a little up. <laughs> so, Weird. And, uh, so the, the, the flight surgeon's like, and they kept checking it and it's like an automatic reflex. You keep checking the blood pressure. You don't do anything to change it. And the blood pressure keeps going up. So I mean, my blood pressure wasn't that high. It was like maybe like 140 over 90 ish or something. And so he's like, so what's going on? I'm like, well, my wife told me last night that she's pregnant. She's like, oh, this is the only amount that your blood pressure rose. I should pass you now. Tell you what, go for a run to, you know, today, this afternoon, come back tomorrow. We'll recheck your blood pressure. Did you uh, tell him there was a car accident involved and there was oil in the coolant? <laughs> I, I overlooked that. Fucking crying out loud. There's oil in the coolant. Yeah, I missed the important facts. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You're not supposed to put oil in the radiator, so I'm guessing it was a head gasket. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you made you come back wrong. the next day and redo your blood pressure? <sighs> yep. So I get through API. Quite honestly, I it really was not a stress at all. I did do, you know, I worked in study groups. I said I didn't crack a book. I, I didn't really have to study much at all. I found myself helping more of my classmates than anything else. Yeah, man. Um, Hydraulics, turbines, uh, you know, you probably had a pretty good idea of all that mechanical. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I had taken a, and it's actually, I'd learned the four cycles of an engine. Suck, squeeze, bang, blow. Yeah. Same thing with the jet engine. Yeah, exactly. This happens faster. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you get through that. And then you, I think the most fun that I had, honestly, was the week that I had where they did all the flight physiology stuff with you. Right. Talk about that. So, you know, the, oh, the, the hypoxia chamber or the, you know, hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. Um, So they gave me, so most people got like cards and they had to sort them or they either were doing patty cake. Hey, wait, wait. I'm going to slow you down just for a second. Sticks. Um, Describe to some of these listeners that really don't know what you're talking about. Um, It's a, it's, it's a, it's a giant tube and they, and they pressurize you. Actually, they take air, they take oxygen. They depressurize you. They take you up at altitude. So kind of explain that. Probably fit eight, eight or 10 people in there. So I'm going to warn you, you know, repeat knows this. I'm not going to go too much into the weeds because I could certainly drag you all down in the weeds. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not go too far down. But yeah, I'm not going to go too far. So you go into this pressure sealed or pressure controlled chamber. Yeah. They, they call it evacuate. altitude chamber for, for right. it's like layman, layman turns the altitude chamber. Exactly. And, and there's a number of things that they do with you. Number one, they're going to take you up to about an altitude of 25,000 feet, just so you can feel what the pressure difference feels like. So you can feel your ears pop and all of that. You learn how to clear your ears and do a Valsalva maneuver. Next, what they do is they take you back down to 10,000 feet, I believe. And then you, they actually have you take your oxygen, reserve oxygen off or something around there. And what is kind of cool, you become hypoxic. And so you give, you're given these basic rudimentary tasks that you have to do, either sort cards by color or play patty cake with somebody else, or in my case, give you that preschool shape sorter. <laughs> right, with the square block and the round and, block. Exactly. The, so star the star, block. the square, the, right. block, the, you know, the circle, the triangle. So you have to take your oxygen mask off. You become hypoxic. You obviously get confused and you have to then put the shapes in there. No problem. Sailed right through that without any problems. They also showed you in advance that you pull the two halves of them apart to pull the parts to get the parts out and then put them back in. What does Mr. Wizard here do? He tries to pull the parts back through the same hole that I put them in. (laughs) (laughs) So describe uh, to the listeners when you're hypoxic, you you're almost it's almost like you're drunk, but you're not drunk. You just can't make you can't do what you think you need to do. Oh, absolutely. Everything that you're, you're become incredibly stupid. And, you know, from an anatomy and physiology perspective here, your brain has zero reserve capacity for both glucose and oxygen. And once you're depleting either one of those, you're about as dumb as a box of rocks. Oh, there's some comments you could make there, right? You know, oh, he's hypoxic. That's his problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so there, there are some telltale yeah. symptoms, uh, yeah. right, of hypoxia that hopefully this teaches aviators so that right. you recognize. So, you yeah. here's, one of the, here's one of the key ones, and I think one of the most important ones for anybody who is in aviation to go to un- completely understand. And, and so they, one of the key things they do is they, they hold up a color wheel. And there is 64 colors on that color wheel. 
And when you're hypoxic, you're looking at that color wheel and they do turn the lights down a little bit, but you're looking at that color wheel and there are four colors there. They then tell you to put the oxygen mask back on and you watch those four colors become eight, the eight becomes 16, the 16 become 32, all the way up to 64 colors. A couple of breaths of, of pure oxygen and boom, it's all back. Right. So anybody who is flying, all of a sudden you start realizing that maybe you're not thinking right, man, step one is you got to put the descent on in. that oxygen mask. Yeah. And get the, get the oxygen yeah. on if you have it, if not descend. And I would, right. and I would set like a minimum descent altitude. So that's the main thing, right? Is that it's a, uh, one, it's a confidence builder and two, it's right. to get you to recognize your symptoms. Personally, I, the only thing I experienced, obviously I couldn't do the physical coordination things, but I was pretty happy about that. I, the euphoria was like, oh, I could do this, you know? Right. But let me ask, let me ask both of you guys this. How did you feel later on that day after that? I don't recall. I probably felt my, my guess is the right answer is I probably felt a little fatigued, but I don't recall. I, I felt like crap. Recall. I, I, I honestly, I felt, I remember it. I felt like crap. I was tired. I had a headache, um, lost the appetite, nauseated for about 24 hours. Wow. Okay. Is that, uh, is that normal symptoms of hypoxia? Yeah. Yeah. So post hypoxia. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay. Since we're on the topic of flight physiology, I'll bring you back to one other quick thing. And this actually goes back to one of your previous episodes. Happy birthday, Yogi. So when he was partially ejected out of the airplane, the reason why he blacked out was not because he became hypoxic per se, but it was more that he had too much CO2 in his system. He could not, his upper airway became a pedo tube. Yeah, he couldn't expel it, right? I mean, he couldn't get air out. Out, yeah. It had nothing to do with the fact that he couldn't get air in. He it was like a CPAP machine gone rogue. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy. In reality, he became hypercapnic. So he yeah. held on to too much CO2 and lost consciousness as a result of that. And for, for and those that are wondering, uh, Styx is, a, in fact, a medical professional. So he speaks from whence he knows. That, that's an interesting segue, too, towards the end of my, <laughs> towards the end of this little bit. But see, so yeah, I know I'm dragging you guys into the weeds, and I totally apologize. But I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> I'm at least giving you some good ammunition to work with. No, that's, that's great. So API was awesome. What was always fun was watching, like you get these big muscular guys that come in and they could do the push-ups, the sit-ups and the run and all that stuff, put them in a swimming pool and they sink like an anchor. Right. Right. A rock. And then try putting them in a swim, like a flight suit and swim a mile. And if you guys <laughs> remember like, that. I remember the mile swim. Oh, yeah. the, yep. the mile swim in a swimming pool. Yep. Holy moly. You in know. a flight suit. Yeah. Do we have to wear boots? Can we take the boots off? I, I don't think we had boots on, I, but I don't recall now. Um, for the mile swim, you did not. But at least when I went through, you had to be able to swim a quarter mile with boots, a vest, helmet, and flight suit and gloves. Okay. Gotcha. So you had, you had to be able to at least do like 1,200 yards. I just remember during some of the swim calls, you know, we all show up and we get the boxers, swim trunks on and all that. And then all the Italians that were in our class that were there with Speedos. Speedos. <laughs> show up with the banana yeah. hammock. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Italians my. and the We are very sexy men. We are not speedos. afraid. <laughs> yeah. What? what, the, what Flash, flashbacks to the gross gringo song where they, uh, they, they reference the thong being stuck in grandmother. Uh, in yeah. Right. <laughs> Grandmother's thong. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god sorry about that folks <laughs> bad right, visual well, did you stay there milton for primary yep i went through so i i get through api i get to waiting i go through vt3 fly the t-34 and was trained by a air force f-15 pilot okay who, that's, yeah. that's the modern times right there yeah. exactly so let's just call him nooner <laughs> for lack of a better term. Or I don't know what his actual call sign was, but I know what his last name was. So he takes me out, fam one, and we're doing motivational aerobatics. Oh. So we go out, you know, we kind of go over basic familiarization, you know, kind of, you know, this is the T-34, this is what it can do, blah, 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 blah. So we do, you know, a couple of aileron rolls, a barrel roll. And then he's like, all right, let's do some loops. And then he basically, I think, initially rolls into like a split S 
And then we're just doing loop after loop after loop. We're coming out on the backside of my fourth loop. And all of a sudden, I'm grayed out. I've got tunnel vision. I can't see what the <laughs> hell I'm doing. And now all of a sudden, the fumes have <laughs> started to get to me. No. And I'm like, oh boy. But I was prepared. I had two Ziploc bags, double Ziploc bag, and I hurled my guts. So he rolls out. I hear this voice come over the ICS and Nooner's like, all right, it's okay. You're all good. Just let that evil out. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, On fam one. Thanks, pal. Yeah. I remember nice. reading the report afterwards and he's like, air nauseous times one appears to be flight adapted. We'll continue to monitor. <laughs> so I was like, thanks, thanks a bunch. I don't, I don't recall Acro being part of family. I don't think it was supposed to be. <laughs> I, think, I think that was your welcome to the welcome to flight training, Coast Guard guy. I'm going to yeah. show you what F-15 guys do. I think he had like notches on his bedpost. Uh-huh. Where, <laughs> oh, look, I made another student puke. So pri- primary, I get all the way up to my safe for solo check ride, and. Remember back to this. Remember how I said when I was checking into API, my wife calls me up and says that she's pregnant. So oh, yeah. I pass my save for solo check ride on a Friday. I'm scheduled to fly my solo on Monday. My wife's water breaks on Sunday. What? Yeah. Wait a minute. Was that the fastest pregnancy in history? No, no. Well, he, he's, this is flight school. He's not API. This is this is uh, safe for solo. Yeah. So you're yeah. safe for solo. So, oh my gosh, it took you that long to go yeah. from API to. Yeah. Uh, no, the, man, the pipeline, I think that's actually, that was pretty normal. We waited in the pool for months at a time sometimes. Yeah. To start a, that's true. Start okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So your baby's about to be born on your safe for solo check ride day? Yeah. The day before. So I got grounded. Before. Okay. Well, that's probably a good call. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I was grounded for two weeks minimum. The OPSO was great. And he was like, Hey, listen, don't worry about it. You know, enjoy your son. This only happens once. You know, he was was a Navy guy. um, But I appreciated the fact that he was, you know, he recognized this is the price of being out in the fleet first. And, you know, you have a life when you show up to flight school. This is where I all of a sudden discovered I could suffer from check (laughs) rightitis. I ended up warming up it got into this cycle of fly the warm-up flight. Then because of weather and everything else, my son was born in August. September, October, we're dodging all these convective sigmas. So I'm weathered out. For seven weeks, I was constantly going back, warming up the flight and trying to get through another check ride so I could go back and solo. Bullshit. Um, he was building time for that airline job. Exactly. <laughs> so yep. I actually get all the way through. I get through really? primary. Life's good. Actually, actually solo and that went well. There's an interesting story. So as I'm coming through API, one of my classmates, his last name is Bashwinger. He goes from a Happel into a Lapple. So he sucks the gear up, he you know, wraps the plane back up around, brings it in to land, but forgets to put the landing gear down. Oops. There are those who have and those who will, right? <laughs> Takes a lot of power to taxi. Yeah. Let's just say he lived up to his last name. Bashwinger. That's nice. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's the that's the irony of that's it all. That's rough. So Happel and Lapple are high altitude power loss and low altitude power loss, which were ah, profiles we good. flew, right? Yeah. 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 I have no idea what file card that came out of, but there it was. <laughs> yeah. So the instructor comes out, you know, he pulls the power, he pulls the PCL back on you. You've lost power. And now you've got several key points that you have to hit. Yeah. Call from a high key to low key to, to final. So a safe profile to come in the land. When you're going into a lapel, you've got a low altitude power loss, so you have to maybe adjust your pattern and your plan a little bit. And the most important thing when you're coming out of a landing configuration and then you've lost power is it's dump, suck, feather point check. So you're going to dump the nose, you're going to suck the gear up, you're going to feather the prop, you're going to make sure your flaps are up, you're going to configure the plane to come back around to land, and then as you're you're going to point towards your intended point of landing, and then you're going to, as you're coming in and rolling final, you're throwing your gear down, and you just miss the last step. <laughs> so. How do you remember that? Big, I'm scared. I think, aren't we the professional pilots? And this, oh. this guy here is now a medical professional. Oh. <laughs> All I remember about out. the T-34 is crouch dive. Was it 
crew all can be cord harness crouch, pop and pop cords crouch dive and d-ring that's all i <laughs> <laughs> oh dear who can be cords harness crouch dive d-ring that's all yeah. i can remember about the t-34 damn sticks that's impressive all right but yeah no that's i mean that's the whole configuration on you know happen yeah. to the lapel and that whole configuration so the most fun thing that i friggin got to do i think was actually flying formations all right and i had I had a blast with that flying forms. I remember we actually, so we were, you know, I was really nervous because I didn't want to screw things up. And we discovered there was a switch that you could listen to what the instructors were actually talking back and forth to each other with. And all you had to do is very subtly flip that switch up and you could actually hear. So we were listening in on what the instructors were talking about (laughs) for our form flight, me and this other air force student, all of a sudden we're like into the flight. And I realized I make a mistake. And so I make the correction for that mistake, like right after he points out that to his the instructor, oh yeah, my student, my stud just made a mistake. So then he looks up over at the switch and he goes, hey, you want to do me a favor and flip that switch off? <laughs> 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 we get back on deck and he looks at me and he goes, you know, I probably should give you a ready room down for that. But nobody told you not to do that. So I'm giving you, a, I'm going to give you a pass because I think it was good head work. You're just using your resources. Yeah. Good head work, poor initiative. Right. Good initiative, poor head work. Yeah. Or, or poor judgment. Yeah. 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 We're really going along here, and this has all been fascinating, but we haven't even gotten to the fact of some of the really cool stuff that you got to do as a Coast Guard pilot, ret- slash right. rescue pilot. I got I got some serious Let's talk to us about some of your missions. I've totally grabbed you guys, dragged you guys into the. Into no, the- that was that was all and, oh, by the way, so on Facebook Live, there's actually an anatomy professor listening and says he totally backs up the hypercapnia situation with uh with yogi okay so, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, nice job he goes, that's it nice job sticks <laughs> yeah well even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then yeah, yeah i don't know or as repeat says even a blind squirrel licks his nuts twice a day yeah there you go. <laughs> so so actually but here's here's what i'll probably jump to um and in terms of it and then it, you know we can always talk about other stuff um, so one of the, one of the cooler, one of the odder things that did happen was I got, so I finished primary or intermediate and that was just awesome. The, the one thing I will say is I probably do have a pretty good memory for remembering details for some of these things. So some of this stuff is stuck yeah, with clearly. me. Clearly. <laughs> um, I can't remember that shit. No, but uh, we're pilots. <laughs> so I got a phone call after I had finished intermediates before I was going to go to advanced. So this is where you go from North Whiting to South Whiting. Yeah. And yeah. you then start rotary wing training. And he calls me up and he goes, Hey, Lieutenant Hall, congratulations. I got a perfect option for you. We're going to send you to fixed wing training over in Corpus. Yeah. This is your Coast Guard detail. Coast Guard. This is our Coast Guard liaison officer, Sigla. His office is out of the um, lighthouse at Pensacola. Okay. And he calls me up and says, your NSS scores are really good. We're sending you to Corpus. And I'm like, I really need to think that one over, sir. And he's like, what do you mean? He goes, it's perfect. You'll end up in the majors. You'll be able to get a great job. I'm like, sir, I came here to fly helicopters. And I said, I think if you're going to send me to go fly fixed wing, I'm going to bail, probably DOR. And he was like, what? what? He, like, he, could not, he could not wrap his head around that. And I think for me, what it boiled down to was that I was so set at that moment that when you look at what Coast Guard aviators do, the pointy end of the spear is actually the aviators, the helicopter pilots, rather. Yeah, That's what I had set my heart on. I I wanted to frigging learn how to hover. He was shocked that I would actually be so bold as to do that. And he's a Coast Guard captain. This is the first time I really spoke up for myself. And so he's like, okay, that's fine. We'll send you to Whiting. And he goes, he's like, you're making a mistake, but... In your opinion, in your humble opinion, Captain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, suck it. I'm going to Whiting Field. And here's the interesting thing. So you guys talk about how helicopters are dangerous. And my thought process is totally different. I, even if I lose an engine, I can put a helicopter down just about anywhere. Small landing field. I can do an auto, which actually brings me to when I checked in for HD18 down at South Whiting, we check in and the instructor, the um, CO comes in and we get our in briefing and he says to us, you know, in about two weeks, I'm going to give you guys a helicopter, ask you to keep it in the state of Florida and you won't be able to. Um, but by the time you're done, you will. They go through South Whiting and there's like a whole, that could practically be a whole episode here. Totally cool stuff that we did down there. I absolutely loved it. I go and do my first auto 
So, this so that's is auto rotation, which is your emergency landing if you lose yep. lose the engine in a helicopter, right? Yeah, exactly. It's how, it's how you land without without power. Right. Okay. So the first thing that you're doing is normally when a helicopter is flying, you're pulling pitch and you're driving air through the rotor system below the helicopter to generate lift. In this case, you're bottoming the collective and reversing the airflow through the rotor disc to spin the rotor, the spin the rotors. And then you're so, taking. Okay. Cool so I'm sorry. We got to slow down for people here. So that's okay. like blowing on a fan. Yeah. Right. No, okay. As, yes. as the, air, yeah. as the airplane you. is coming down, you're, you're setting the angle on the blades. So it spins the blades faster. Right. Okay. And, and here's what I'm going to point out. Remember that as far as the Navy and I guess sometimes the Marine Corps goes, they send the, the not so smart people to South Whiting. No, no, no. Hold on a second. <laughs> that, that's not true. They only have a certain amount of time to hit a certain grade, to hit a certain level of proficiency. That's right. it. That's timeline. Right. Okay. And a lot and, of guys, so, and a lot of guys show up with a lot of time. Yeah, like in, somebody, in, in uh, somebody that's I'm looking at on the screen right now. Don't, oh. oh. I think you had more than I did, but you know. <laughs> I mean, so you know, so that it's not a level playing field, and sure. it's just a level of proficiency. When the music stops and you got to have a chair, if you don't right. have a certain level of proficiency, you're not going to get jets. Right. Yeah. Right. True. Okay. There's a lot of shit going on. There's a lot of different sh- things going on in and and being able to process, uh, you know. Yeah, it's trying to like juggle chainsaws and spin plates all at the same time. It's it's like trying to uh, trying to herd cats with chainsaws. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Continue. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. We digress. (laughs) Yeah. No. 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 And I totally get where you get where you're coming from. It's just the assumption is is that the the not so smart pilots end up down at South Whiting, which the reality is is totally different than that. Oh yeah. I, I totally because the aerodynamics and that's a whole nother thing. Aerodynamics gonna, alone, I don't think I could pass today. There are so many different phenomenon that occur with helicopters. A lot of it is about power management, understanding your energy state, where you have potential energy to you know, and where where and how you can change that and to be able to do so rapidly on the fly. So you get through whiting and you're trying to hover a helicopter, which I would say takes anywhere between eight to ten hours really to kind of become vaguely proficient at it. Now you're going to do start doing your first auto rotation. So I'm out there with my instructor. He demos one, brings it down, beautiful touchdown, flare, everything. Like it was gold. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. He's like, okay, now you get to do one. So we go up, I roll the throttle off, which is a little intimidating to begin with. Unfortunately, it's just a straight in auto, which means you're just going straight into the runway. You don't have to worry about turning because turning creates some other aerodynamic effects that you have to account for. So I come in and I start my you know flare and I go to do my touchdown and I'm still carrying probably about 25 or 30 knots of, of airspeed as I'm starting to touch down. But I do a really nice job of sort of keeping the nose up. So I'm not digging the nose down, but I leave probably, it was a good roll, run out. It was a good running landing. So it was a safe auto and you're doing full autos to the deck in this case. And this is in the TH-57, which is uh, basically a bell jet range. Okay. So as I'm coming in and I'm flaring and I land and we come to a full stop, my instructor's like, hey, you know, nice job. He was really positive about it. Oh, and I will point out, this is a Marine Corps helicopter pilot that I was training with. So yet one more period in my life where I came into interaction with a Marine Corps. And I will, as I said, I think I I said at the beginning of the show, I'm alive today because of this gentleman. And I will never forget him. That's for sure. Um, Never forget what's his name. (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I don't know his time, but I know his last name. And and it's in my logbook. You know, I actually even went back and looked. He pulls up into the into a hover, turns the helicopter around about 180 degrees, and he goes, "Hey, so this is what you're going to do. You see that about 150 foot set of track marks that you left behind the helicopter because you're landing on a grass field." He goes, "We're going to shorten that down to about 10 feet." <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> "Okay." And then uh, what was funny is, is later on they start to give you what's called unannounced auto. So they roll the engine back on you, and you're needed to now figure out where you're going to land and where you're going to touch it down. And I was so like intent on not letting them do an unannounced auto on me without doing it that I kept my hands so tight on the the twist grip on the collective. Okay. And the collective is the flight control in a helicopter that collectively changes 
the pitch of the rotor blades. And that's actually where you adjust how much power you're getting out of the rotor system. He's trying to roll it off on me trying to twist it back. And I've got such a death grip on it that he can't get over that. He can't get past that. So he finally <laughs> says to me, he goes, you need to loosen up your you know, you know grip on the collector on the site and the throttle so I can roll it off on you. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Ultimately I get through HD 18. I wing this is actually where I'm going to sort of take things to a slightly different direction. We've kind of maybe had a little bit of fun so far. There's a gentleman that wings behind me who's another Coast Guard aviator, and his name's Dale Taylor. Absolutely awesome guy, and I'm not sure that at times I would have made it through flight school without him. And what I will point out is that we lost Dale in 2012. A routine training flight out of ATC Mobile and the H-65 training a new nugget pilot coming out of whiting. Dale was doing approaches to the water, teaching approaches to the water, and they had a you know, what's called a C-fit event or clue, yeah. um, uh, controlled flight into training. Daytime or nighttime? Yeah, it was night. No, night approaches to the water, you know. And Do you guys uh, fly with nogs? Or yeah. No? Oh, yeah, absolutely. By this point, we were definitely flying with uh, night vision goggles. What I can say about Dale, I wasn't super close friends with him, but – he winged quite literally the week after me. And I remember going through flight school and there were times when you come out of a flight and you're like, man, this was rough. I didn't do as well as I wanted. And I remember Dale constantly, like if you passed him, he was like, Hey, don't worry about it. You got this. Keep pressing on or just a fist bump or a look, um, you know, as you're passing him in the, you know, coming in and out of the brief. And I could not have thought of a more kind, caring individual than Dale. I think what shocks me a little bit when you look at the register of Coast Guard aviators, you know, he's the basically effectively wow. the Coast Guard aviator that winged right after me. That's rough. I was lucky to have known him. I was lucky to have contact with him. His wife wrote a book about his his life and his experience. He's also oh, nice. was awarded the oh, okay. um, Coast Guard Medal of all things, nice. uh, which is like one of the pretty high level of award for two or three lives saved off of a sailboat. He was an accomplished aviator. He was an instructor pilot. Fantastic gentleman, super well, caring. Dale Taylor. Can't say enough positive Indeed. about him. Thank you for your service yeah. and to his family who has sacrificed for us. Absolutely. I think that's so important to recognize that it's yeah, not just the service absolutely. members themselves, but it's their families. Okay. And before we go any further, I'm going to tell you, I found it on Goodreads. It's called Night Flight, The Courage and Calling of a Coast Guard Pilot by Teresa Taylor and Mark Wyatt. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. That's so, the name of the book. Yeah. Thank you. So, after talking about Dale Taylor here, this seems like a good place to break up this week's show before going into another hour with Sticks. Thank you, Sticks, for your service. Thank you for spending the time that you did with us today. We really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Sticks. So, there I was, .us slash Facebook and... So there I was, .us slash rumble. Catch us on live stream. We've got a special live stream coming up this Saturday, Fig, at 10 a.m. Eastern, 15Z for our international folks. With Bonnie. She is going to be a fun interview. She was one of the first female naval aviators to fly tactical jets, and a lot of people know her story. She was the captain on Southwest 1380. Right. That was in, I, I want to say April of 2018 when they were going from LaGuardia to Dallas and what happened? They had an uncontained engine failure that started a sequence of events that uh, absolutely horrific. She's probably still getting the adrenaline out of her system four <laughs> years later. It was horrific. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, there was a fatality on that flight. One of the passengers sitting next to the window that got broken by the piece of the engine that came through the window got partially sucked out and her injuries were fatal. Uh, her name was Reardon. I don't remember her first name. I apologize. We'll figure that out before Saturday. Um, yeah, but this will be a, a fun show. Catch us on the live stream. And then within a few weeks, the show will be up in audio. Thanks also to robinsbirdbraindesigns.com. Robin is making custom laser etched anything, but our favorites are the coasters, which have your squadron logo and your call sign, or an aircraft instrument and your tail number, 
or a fraternity or sorority or any other logo that you'd like on there with a name or something that's significant to you. And you could give it to somebody and it shows you spent some time thinking about a custom gift for them. And they are outstanding because I have a couple sets queued up and ready to go out as Christmas presents. Thanks to Robin. Special thanks to Dos Gringos for allowing us to use their awesome music. It is fun stuff. Those guys are great. And to Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab for all the technical know-how and expertise and support helping us get this show up on the air and out to you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Without Dave, you would not be hearing our dulcet tones. Until next week, folks. Don't sit on the ejection handle. Stay safe and check six. Be happy as a baby in a playpen. Run mowing down like a weed eater with that 30 millimeter. I wish I had a gun just like the A10. Oh, I wish I had an Amrams like the Eagle. I'd be having so much fun it'd be illegal. Like a guy who When storms shut down entire ports, we go out. When hurricanes ground the United States Navy, we go out. And when the Holy Lord himself reaches down from heaven and destroys his good work with winds that rip houses off the ground, we go out. So if by some miracle you actually have what it takes to become one of us, then you get to live a life of meager pay with the distinct possibility of dying, slow, cold, and alone, somewhere in the vast sea. However, you also get the chance to save lives.